Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. You are locked on Nuggets. Your daily podcast on the Denver Nuggets. Lay. Sir. Yeah. Yeah. Kane is in the building. Yeah. It's alright. Already the show goes on long night. Till the morning we dream so long. Anybody ever wonder when they would see the thunder? Just remember when it comes to the show. Everybody, welcome to Locked On Nuggets Podcast, part of Locked On NBA Network. I'm your host, Adam Mades. You know me from DenverStiffs.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Adam underscore Mades, M-A-R-E-S. You can follow the Stiffs at Denver Stiffs. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, as well as Twitter. Going to recap tonight's, uh, in this episode, we're going to recap a little bit of the game um, between the Nuggets and the Clippers. Really not much of a recap. There's not much to talk about that game, guys. It was a butt-whooping um, kind of a equal part schedule loss. You know, there was obviously some bad performances, but I do think the Clippers exposed a few flaws in the team. But let me let's start this one by saying let me give five reasons that the Nuggets got their butts kicked tonight. I've got them written down here, and this isn't you know you can kind of slide your own scale about how much uh, blame goes to one thing or the other, but these are the things that I think. Number one, the Nuggets aren't a great team. This one sounds kind of silly, but I think the Nuggets are a good team, and there's a very good team in this roster that uh, you know has the chance to develop, but I don't think they're a great team. The Clippers are, uh, I would say, a great team in the NBA. They're missing Blake Griffin, but I don't know that that's necessarily... With this Clippers team, and I'm not alone in this, I think the Clippers without Blake Griffin still have a ton of punch, especially that starting unit, because their offense designed around the Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan pick and roll is so potent and, you know, you give an extra shooter instead of Blake Griffin, you put an extra shooter on the court and that team's pretty good. So reason number one is just that the Nuggets aren't a great team and they have to play great in order to win. They didn't tonight. Second reason is the second night of a back-to-back with travel. Again, if you're a great team, you overcome those things pretty regularly. If you're a good team, you overcome those things sometimes. Um, the Nuggets tonight, it wasn't, not only did they get beat, but they got beat down. And I think that kind of shows where the Nuggets are. They had a three game winning streak that was very impressive against very mediocre teams and below. Uh, tonight was a little bit more of a reality check, but I don't think anybody should be discouraged by this one. It's just a, another step in the process. And, you know, you chalk this one up, you forget about it and move on. Reason number three. As much as the Clippers are a great team, they're an excellent starting unit. They're one of the best starting units, if not the, I actually don't have the stat in front of me, but one of the best five-man starting units in the entire NBA. A lot of continuity with that, you know, with the four core guys, Um, and they're a good team. They do what they do very well. The Nuggets obviously have... Their their starting unit has been the story for them over the last three games, and as good as they've been, I still think they were probably outclassed just on a talent level. When you look at the what 
DeAndre Jordan and Chris Paul were able to do, especially Chris Paul. I mean, he really orchestrated this game pretty nicely. He is reason number four. Number four is because Chris Paul is probably the toughest matchup for Emmanuel Moutier. It's kind of funny. I still remember Moutier's first preseason game. It was against Chris Paul and the Clippers, and Chris Paul just hounded him full court. I think he stole the ball in the backcourt from him three or four times in the first quarter. And that's just a really tough matchup. Chris Paul is an incredibly crafty, smart, skilled point guard. Maybe the most you know, well-rounded point guard, true point guard, quote-unquote, whatever that means, uh, in the NBA. And I thought on both ends of the court, he did a really good job. On the offensive end, they were able to force switches on, on a, basically any time they wanted. And not just switches, but the worst kind of switches. They would get one five pick and rolls. They would run some action that would end up getting uh, either Moutier's switched on to DeAndre Jordan, or then Wilson Chandler would rotate. Um, you would get Nikola Jokic out on Chris Paul. They just kept forcing switches all night long, and Chris Paul, I thought, like a, a, a true master point guard, was able to kind of call whatever number he wanted and exploit the Nuggets' weaknesses. So as much as the Nuggets aren't a good defensive team right now, they looked especially bad tonight because they were really able to kind of get whatever they wanted in this game. And then on the other end of the court, Chris Paul did a phenomenal job of disrupting the flow of the Nuggets. And not just Chris Paul. I thought all of the Nuggets, this starting unit of the Nuggets, as skilled as they are, really struggles with physicality. And that's especially true of Nikola Jokic and Emmanuel Moutier. Those two guys in particular, I think, get disrupted when there's extra contact and physicality. And in this one, you know, the crux of the Nuggets offense is the Jokic Moutier or Jokic Harris dribble handoff. And actually, I should just say Jokic everybody because they run those dribble weaves at the top of the key with all four guys in that starting unit. And in this game, the Nuggets could never get a ball reversal because the defender was hugging the uh, the guy who would receive the dribble handoff was hugging him so tight that there was no way for that that exchange to happen, and the Nuggets didn't have a good counter uh, for that tonight. They either you know just weren't prepared for the proper counter, or really it's just I think strong, physical, veteran, smart guys versus second and third year guys that um, learned a lesson tonight, or at least I think. I think they probably learned a few lessons tonight and just some of the trickery of the game. So on both ends of the court, the Nuggets on offense tonight, they've, they've been bad on defense, let's be honest, all, all year. And really, over this three-game winning streak, they still have been a bad defensive, defensive team. And I'm going to get into that a little bit more here in a second. But, but offensively, they've been able to get a flow and, and basically outgun teams. Tonight, they weren't able to do that, not at all. Their offense completely stalled when they couldn't get those dribble handoff ball reversals. And they just looked uncomfortable to kind of going to anything else. So um, definitely a bit of an ex- – uh, I think I think that the Clippers exposed them a little bit for one of their weaknesses. And it will be interesting to see both if other teams try to copy that and get physical uh, – and, and not just get physical because they weren't really physical with Nicola in this game up top. But they were very physical with Gary Harris and Emmanuel Moutier. And those guys just weren't able to come off of those screens and those dribble handoffs and turn the corner at all. So it'll be interesting to see if other teams handle that or try to mimic that. And it'll be interesting to see if the Nuggets come up with some specific counters. One thing you can do is get backdoor cuts, but those backdoor cuts are a lot more effective on the second or third ball reversal. It's hard to get a back cut after you, if you haven't moved the ball at all because the defense is kind of sitting there waiting for you. So the Nuggets weren't unfortunately able to get 
the ball moving very much, and I don't think it was because of a lack of of wanting to. It wasn't because players played selfish. I just think that they weren't able to overcome the physicality. And the fifth reason is that the Nuggets couldn't make a shot. And as much as they struggled on offense to to do the things that they want to do, they're still they still got enough opportunities to make shots to kind of keep them in the game, but they couldn't hit anything. I mean, I think if the Nuggets just hit an average amount of open shots, um, or really of just the shots you take, if you if you say they make an average amount given the probability or the efficiency of the type of shot they took, the Nuggets starters probably are down six points. Uh, you know, when they come out that first six minutes into the game or so, they're probably down five or six. As it was, they were down 13, I think, and 13 or 15, something like that. And at that point, the game, I'm not going to say it's put away, but it's such a big hole against a great team that it's very hard for them to to fight out of. So those are my five reasons um, that I think the Nuggets lost tonight. I don't think it's anything to be too concerned about. But as we talk about with the wins, we should talk about with the losses. There are some trends and some things to kind of keep an eye on. And I think the physicality, especially with the guards, is something to keep an eye on. After lighting it up for three straight games, Nikola Jokic, Emmanuel Moody, and Gary Harris had probably their worst games of the year, at least collectively. Nikola Jokic managed to put up some stats in garbage time. but So he ended up with 9.6 rebounds, 1 assist. Those numbers will sound okay, but they really don't tell the story. He had, I think, three points before the basically before garbage time, or four points, something like that, and only a couple rebounds. I don't think I think he got his assist in the fourth quarter as well. So he had a really, really, really tough game. And uh, you know, I think if you talk about the biggest weakness to Nikola Jokic's game, as great as he's been playing, and the skill, I think the skill level obviously is tremendously high. I do think he's going to be a better player in three or four years, especially if he works on his body. He's a guy that I don't think is ever going to look like uh, Dwight Howard, obviously. Um, I think, though, that there are things he can do to kind of strengthen up his core and his shoulders, uh, his lower body, his legs, to kind of be able to battle guys like DeAndre Jordan a little bit better. DeAndre Jordan's a, a, a freak athlete, tremendous athlete, but I think Nikola can become a lot stronger and a lot quicker uh, to kind of battle him. Um, and, and Gary Harris and Emmanuel Moody are the same thing. I think just getting a little bit more used to the physicality uh, will go a long way. Those guys, in fact, let's see, Moody uh, tonight, zero points, Gary Harris three. Those guys go a combined one for 15. Chris Paul's a great player, guys. <laughs> if you don't if you don't know that already, know, know it now. He gave both of those guys fits on both ends. Um, the defense was awful tonight. And I, I think it's a good opportunity to kind of address that because the Nuggets allowed 119 points. Clippers, obviously, a very good offense. But if you look at the, the Nuggets over the last um, four games now, they have a defensive rating of 116. Defensive rating is how many points your opponent scores per 100 possessions. So a defensive rating, you want that number to be low. The Nuggets 116 would be, uh, if not the worst, among the worst in the entire NBA. I believe that would be the worst. I don't know. There's some there's some bad teams in the uh, – let me look it up here as I'm talking. But 116 would be really, really terrible. But it's been disguised by the fact that their offense has been so good. So it's up until this point, that hasn't mattered. But uh, it, tonight you obviously saw that you have to have something to fall back on when shots aren't falling and the offense isn't going, and they haven't done that. Now – 
I want to say this because every every the Nuggets basketball Twitter is a funny place because there's a handful of guys, prominent guys, writers even, uh, writers or at least um, Twitter personalities that every single game the takes are just so hot. You know, the last three games, the Nuggets are top five team in the West, and then a night tonight tonight. Oh, the Nuggets aren't any good. You know, they don't have any defenders. They don't. You know, they they're a terrible defensive team or what have you. Now, they are a terrible defensive team, but I would argue that they have some very good defenders and they have the framework to be a good defensive team. I don't think it's one of those things where you got to fire up the trade machine and start saying, where do we find a guy that's going to save our defense? I don't, I don't think it's anything like that. I think their scheme that they run on the defensive end, especially their pick-and-roll defense, is pretty poor. And... One of the things that they do, uh, and they've done for two years now under Coach Malone, is they rotate way too hard on to help protect the paint. And I think if you ever hear Malone talk after games, you know, and I've been listening to him talk for a year and a half, paint points are like the worst thing in the world for him. And they are the most efficient shot. You want to prevent points in the paint. You want to take those away. But there's a given a, a, a trade-off always for when you overprotect the paint that uh, that can be really really deadly if you overvalue you know keeping players out of the paint, namely giving up the second most efficient type of shot, which are catch and shoot three pointers. The Clippers tonight they averaged 30 points per game off of three pointers. Tonight they got 48 points on three pointers alone. And a lot of those threes were wide open threes. And what happened, in my opinion, and what's happened for the, to the Nuggets, you know, they started the season, it made a big deal about how they were guarding the pick and roll two on two. And as a result, their defense was actually pretty solid. Now, there were some other factors involved in that, um, but their defense was actually pretty good. The problem was they were allowing a lot of paint points, but they were the best team in the NBA at defending the three-point, catch-and-shoot three-pointers. Teams just weren't getting those looks. And Malone talked about it, and uh, this was... I want to say sometime around early to mid-November, so it was very early in the year, where he was saying, we're just giving up too many points in the paint. And it, you could tell it just was eating at him. So they started to help from the weak side a little bit more. Players would rotate to try to cut off lobs and, and try to, to, to help the helper, basically, by uh, bringing a guy from the corner all the way down to the block. And slowly but surely, that paint versus three thing started to shift. But what happened was... The Nuggets weren't very good at protecting the paint anyway. They were they were starting they didn't improve their paint protection very much, but their three point defense took a huge huge hit tonight. Giving up almost fifty points to a team from the three point line, it's very difficult to win like that. Very 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 difficult to win like that. Um, and I think my personal opinion on the matter is that this was. Uh, that that's a mistake. That's a miscalculation. I think the team can improve their paint protection while still playing two on two. I think there are other things the team can do, especially about when and how far they drop back and things like that. But the scheme as it is right now is just allowing way too many open threes and overreacting. And on top of that, they're not doing a good job of containing the pick and roll anyway. We saw a lot of DeAndre Jordan dunks and shots at the rim. We got they the, they were able to force a lot of switches. So many times they would be able just to get the switch and then pull it back out, lob the ball into DeAndre Jordan, who had somebody like Emmanuel Moutier on him. Um, he had an and one. I don't remember who fouled him. It might have been Barton. 
who just gave him the easiest hand one of his life with a silly foul. Uh, and they were just able to do that over and over. So long story short, I think the Nuggets had the right idea going on early on in the season by playing it more two-on-two. I think a lot of teams are starting to do more and more of that. And unfortunately, they went away from that quite a bit ever since the maybe the third or fourth week of the season and really have started hemorrhaging points. I don't buy that the Nuggets don't have good defensive players. I don't buy this idea that they need a rim protector, you know, that, that Jokic, Nurkic, uh, those guys can't be rim protectors because I think they can. And I think in a lot of different teams, they would be at least adequate rim protectors and, and adequate defenders. Right now, they don't look like that at all. They've been very, very miserable, and I think it has more to do with the scheme. Silver linings. If we, uh, if there is a silver lining to this game, I always try to look on the bright side. It's Will Barton, second game in a row that he's shot 60%. Uh, 9 for 15 in this game. I think he was 6 for 10 in the last one. 22 points, 5 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 steals. You know, he actually led the charge in the Nuggets got behind big. Then the bench came all the way back to cut it within two. Starters come back in for both units. And I don't think it was, the again, I don't think it was that the Nuggets starters were especially terrible. But the Clippers starters are really, really, really good. And they come back in and just kind of go on and just kind of mow them over. But Barton, it's, it's encouraging that he was able to come in and kind of look like last year's Barton. And now for two games in a row is kind of a spark off the bench. There are trade rumors about him today that came out that are notable. Uh, Chris Haynes is the one that reported that there were teams calling about Will Barton. Now, he's a Chris Haynes, very respectable reporter. And it should be noted that he was close to Will Barton you know, in Portland and I believe has broken a few stories about him. So the reason that that's important is you always wonder where trade rumors come from. Trade rumors could come from a couple different places. The story actually leaked. I'd say that's probably the least likely scenario that, that something leaked. Certainly the Nuggets have been a, a, a locked box since uh, really since the Arnovitz article came out, I think, in 2014. They just don't leak things. Things don't leak uh, from, the organiza- from the Nuggets organization. Very small front office, very tight group, uh, very close group. Um, so I don't think it came from Denver. It could have kind of come from the other teams. I don't really see why that would have happened in this case. I don't know what the value is of leaking something like that if you're Washington or if you're New Orleans. It could come from uh, a player's agent. Um, and that, I think, would probably be the most likely scenario. Again, this is pure speculation. I don't, I'm don't. i not reporting this. I'm just trying as a, you know, as a blogger to try to say where – speculate where the different avenues it could have come from. It could have come from all three. But Haynes being close to Barton, I think there's a, a chance that, that maybe it leaked from somewhere within Barton's camp or, or with his uh, with his agent. So, again, purely speculative, but kind of something to think about. And, I, you know, Barton is a player that maybe is a bit more expendable now than he was last year with the emergence of Jamal Murray and just with how the, the team is playing. Barton's a very, very valuable player. The Nuggets rotation is obviously very difficult right now because there's so many players so maybe they could lose him for some type of draft pick or something down the line down the road they would certainly take a hit right now the nuggets would be worse without barton but maybe it would pay off down the road so again pure speculation but it's kind of our first juicy trade rumor of of the season that uh, that some teams have called and asked about will barton Lastly, I want to talk about the elephant in the room that is, why isn't Yusuf Nurkic playing? 
And it's an interesting one. Um, you know, Nurkic, I think, is talented enough to play. And tonight, you know, last night you think maybe it wasn't, you know, matchups or whatever. There's something else going on, whatever. But tonight, you know, the Nuggets needed physicality. And, and one thing about Nurkic is he's a very physical player. I think he enjoys the physicality of it. Um, if nothing else, he probably could have gone in and mixed it up with some of the guys and gotten under their skin. So him not playing tonight was pretty loud. And... Uh, I think there's. I wrote down three options of, of why that that's a possibility that he didn't get in. Number one, it's possible that Malone wants to settle into a rotation. He's talked repeatedly. Uh, Darrell Arthur is the guy he always brings up, not Nurkic, but he talks repeatedly about, you know, we've got our guys, and I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to get into this habit of trying to find who fits night in, night out. I want to stick to guys and let them be the ones that figure it out. Um, and I think that's smart, by the way. It doesn't make sense to play 12 guys, and some nights you play this group of nine guys, and the next night you play this group. I think it's smart to have your, if you're going to go with a nine-man rotation, to have those guys, and you're just going to win or lose with those guys, If you know, assuming everyone's healthy and not in foul trouble. You're going to win or lose with that group. So I think that's probably the, the likeliest scenario if there's only one. I think it's actually probably a, a combination of, of at least two of these things. Um, but I think he maybe he's just settling into rotation, and Nurk, he's decided that Nurkic is not a part of that. Now, the wisdom of that, if that is the case, um, is to be questioned. But I think if you look at the front court rotation, he's very sold on Wilson Chandler and Danilo Gallinari playing the power forward position. Those guys are going to play a lot of minutes like that, and I think that is absolutely smart. Yusef Nurkic cannot do what having four perimeter players for this team can do because that's that's far more important. And if they're going to play the power forward position and Jokic is going to play 25 to 35 minutes at center, that means either Kenneth Farid is playing power forward or yeah, is playing the power forward position in some center minutes or both Kenneth Farid and Nurkic are probably not going to play a whole lot because that, that duo has been pretty bad together. So I think there's, there is probably some truth to that of him thinking, you know, Jokic is more important. Jokic fits with Farid, therefore Farid is going to play. And if Farid is going to play, then Nurkic cannot play. That might be the logic there. Um, but again, this is pure speculation. Reason number two, Yusuf Nurkic is in the doghouse. I wouldn't rule this one out. Yusuf Nurkic is a guy who uh, has the reputation of being somewhat pouty, somewhat very high maintenance, um, and you know can complain, or he, he can just be a bit of a a bit of a hard personality to deal with. Now, again, I'm not reporting this either because I don't know if that's the reason. He seemed to be very um, positive. You know, he threw the ice on Nikola Jokic the other day after the game. I haven't seen or heard him complain, so. But, you know, when he doesn't play a single minute for two straight games, you start to wonder, is he in Michael Malone's doghouse? So reason number two is possibly he's in Malone's doghouse and he's just going to have to climb out of it at some point with good behavior, so to speak. The third is that a trade is imminent. Now, the only reason I put this in there is because people are blowing me up on Twitter asking me, does this mean that he's going to be traded? Is there a trade in the works and that's why they're not playing him? No. Possibly, but it's possible that he's moving back to Europe. I mean, there's there's no evidence for either thing. So, is there a trade imminent? I would doubt it. Um, but uh, 
you know, there was rumors today for Will Barton. Will Barton still played. So I, I, I would throw out number three personally. I don't think there's any evidence for it. It's possible it happened, but the Nuggets, um, I think when and if a trade happens this season, it's going to catch everybody by surprise because the Nuggets as an organization have been pretty tight-lipped. I would lean more towards there's probably a disconnect. I don't know how severe, but some sort of disconnect between Malone and Nurkic, whether it's just kind of a, hey, I need to teach him a lesson here, or whether it's a, this guy's really on my bad side and I'm not playing. It's probably somewhere in between those two extremes. And then there's also the fact that Malone wants to settle into a rotation and has just prioritized Jokic over him and, and is trying to fit what else works. So question that decision as you will. I personally don't don't love it, don't mind it, but I just don't know don't see how Jokic and Nurkic fit together unless they can play together, and I don't see how they can play together um without some serious adjustments to the both the offensive and defensive scheme. That's it for today, guys. We'll be back tomorrow. The Nuggets should be in town to practice. Hopefully they will. And we'll have some good quotes from uh, from that. And we'll probably talk about something interesting as well with the Nuggets. So thanks for tuning in, guys. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, I know a lot of you have supported the show by leaving a review or a rating. If you could take five minutes to do that, it's greatly appreciated. The more, the merrier. And we'll see you guys tomorrow. It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa auto parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17